I've always felt that the salaries that the clubs pay players are crazy and unrealistic. The word we have tried to use so many times. We have tried not to use so many times, but we have to use. Again, shame on you. This is Sports 360. What is episode 9 of season 3 of Sports 360 podcast? Many thanks for joining us as always. Uh, it's a very, very interesting week. Being a week, a bit of mixed bag of emotions. I'll let you into that in a minute. Uh, I'm Dijamoto, I'm here. Yemi Adesan is here. Yep, yep. Buddy joins us, Buddy Okutu joins us via Skype. And, um, for us on the local scene, uh, sports media in Nigeria now has been a very, very, um, intriguing, interesting, and, um, at times, a melancholic past two weeks. because uh, a couple of weeks ago, our, having what I call a media tribute, a tribute to some of the media icons that shaped the Nigerian sporting media space. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we lost Dr. Sonio Jagbase, uh, the man who pioneered um, uh, sports publishing, let me put it like that, in Nigeria with a whole host of uh, publications that reshaped and uh, reshaped the media landscape for sports reporting and trained so many people, gave so many people an opportunity, of course, including our own body to you here, who had a stint there at the early part of his career. And um, then, um, just before that, it was the birthday of uh, Dr. Larry Izamoje, somebody who's a personal friend of mine. We have a connection. My career started on his show. Uh, we'll talk a bit about that as well, who turned 60. And so, Dr. Izamoje was print. Larry revolutionized uh, radio sports casting, so to speak. And the man that probably shaped TV um, had his birthday. I was there physically, 80th birthday. And four days later, he passed on, unfortunately. But at the ripe old age of 80 years, um, Uncle Fabio Lani Pekun, um, Uncle F- I grew up in Ibadan. Uncle Fabio ran. That's still calling the sports show. Yes. That's he's not, he's not upset, though. <laughs> so I'm calling <laughs> You know, he was a man that shaped, that, that, that ignited my interest in sports, uh, broadcasting because of the show. I'll get to that also as well. So let's start with the man Buddy worked with for a number of years. And, um, Buddy, SO, as was fondly called, Dr. Sonio Jagbase, you had a stint there for a number of years. You, you wrote articles. I think you had a basketball article in Sports of Venia, if I'm not mistaken. And you also did the, the local league. Can you tell us, encapsulate for us, what Dr. Ojagbase meant to Nigerian sports media, and his impact and his legacy? Yeah, Daisy, like you said, it's, it's been a roller coaster of emotions uh, from bad, bad days to burials. Uh, I mean, um, the, the only comfort um, that uh, I can glean from the passing of these two gentlemen is that um, they lived a good life. Yeah. Um, they they shaped careers. Mm. Both of them, like you like also mentioned, um, contributed to my career in no small way. Uh, Sonia Jagbasi, more than Uncle Fabio, um, uh, Sonia was a man that that knew what he wanted. Uh, because while we were after he had after he had blazed the trail for for sports publishing, 
Remember, I also created Success, Success, Success Digest. Digest yeah. And I was there for the birth of many of the titles on the, on the complete communications table. I joined in 1994, um, as, as a reporter with Sports Souvenir, which was, which was the go-to daily for, for, for the, for the Nigerian League, that, for the Nigerian League. Uh, many who didn't, many, many people who don't know complete sports will be shocked to hear that complete sports I'm sorry, sports of that used to sell out. Like it was from the first to the last page. It's all about Nigerian players. It's all about Nigerian league. And it was a hot, it, 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 it was, it, it was, it was a good read then. And then, um, he, he, we moved from, uh, sports when I was a weekly. And then we moved on to the daily complete sports. And complete sports, um, uh, for those who also didn't know where well, complete sports is still, is still, uh, is still available now. But what complete sports, what complete football, which was the, which, which was the starting point? Complete football was a monthly. Sports of India was a, was a weekly. And then complete sports was a day, complete sports is a daily. And in between, there was, well, he also created football weekly, which, which, uh, uh, all football paper. Then there's complete football international. Both complete football was a Nigerian publication. I mean, for, for, for you to understand the kind of vision that, uh, Dr. Jack Bassett had. All these were completely, they are fully sports publications, mm. no politics, no arts, no, just full sports. So complete football was, was centered on Nigerian sports and African sports. Complete football international was Nigerian sports, African sports, and international sports. And then there's complete football international French, the French version of it that was, that was sold in, uh, sold in uh, French speaking countries and exported to France. Did you just imagine? A stable that was rolling out all these titles, mm. month in, month end, day in, day out, week in, week out. And remember, there was no internet. Yeah. There was no internet. Yeah. Reporters were flying all around Africa, all around the world, getting stories and coming back to, uh, to Ikota in our office. And we are pushing these things out. What was it One like? What was it like, but working in that environment? What was it like? Tell us a bit about the buzz around the place. What was it like working day to day? The kind of deadlines and the excitement that you, you had in the newsrooms back then. It, 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 it was like, I mean, if, 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 if you worked in any newsroom in Nigeria, mm. it's just like any normal newsroom. Um, we're, we're always, uh, uh, we're always, um, uh, chasing ideas. Uh, and, and I must also give, give credit to Sam Audu and, yeah. uh, and, and, uh, Dr. Mumini, Alao. They were the ones that were steering the ship and the, the pressure was, was huge. Immense. Pressure to deliver. But you know, you know, but you know, I think it's also helped that we were pushing out publications that were one of a kind. Mm. Some people also, of course, later tried to join and created their own titles. But nobody could ever touch the, the, the ones that pioneered. Mm. And of course, uh, I, I got a bit of a pressure. Uh, um, I, I served br- uh, briefly as, as um, features editor for Sports Souvenir. And then I served briefly as action ed- editor of Complete Sports. And the pressure was huge. But in all of this, uh, DG, Dr. Jack Basse was always, most times, the coolest in the room. Mm. There are lots of times that we had, that, that our sales would drop for, 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 for a reason or the other. I remember clearly after the, after France 98, when, uh, Nigeria, Nigerians were thinking about Brazil and we lost to Denmark and sales fell drastically and other adverse revenue plummeted. And, you know, at that time he had, he had, he had focused mostly on success like this. 
which was his um his life changing publication for those who for those who are aspiring aspiring entrepreneurs. He made another and he had withdrawn and left the running of of the sports of the sports um uh, sports titles to uh, Doctor Doctor Alao, who wasn't who wasn't the doctor then. And then he, he, he when he was promoted, he made a reappearance. He stepped back into the sports uh, uh, newsroom. We had a series of lectures on what to do. You know, it, it, look, working with 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 with, uh, with uh, Doctor Jaguarse was eye opening because he showed that nothing is impossible if you set your mind to it. Mm. He showed that no, uh, nothing was insurmountable. And then he made friends along the way. You'll be shocked to, to, to see the number of people that used to come to offices. Mm. And many do not know it, but he was also a pastor friend to my pastor, um, uh, Sam Adeyemi. Mm. They were close. And, and Pastor Adeyemi came to that office like a couple of times, you know. I mean, I, I think what connected them was, was, you know, um, uh, Pastor Adeyemi teaches success okay. and management. Or Jack Basse, uh, published Success Digest, Digest and also okay. taught management. So he was a man that was diverse in many ways. Um, he had friends across politics and, 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 uh, and the sciences. And it was, and the other thing was, he was quiet. You would never see him really, uh, unless you know or you knew what he was, who he was and what he was doing. He doesn't throw himself, throw himself in your face. It's not like, you know, look at all the tattoos that, that I've mentioned mm. and imagine that he, the man goes about his business, businesses Quite. quietly, mm. you know. In, and, and I, look, I think we are going to miss him, but like I said, uh, we are happy that he lived a fulfilled life. Yeah. He did what he, he did what he had to do mm. from 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 his from his days at the Guardian to the Concord to setting up his, his own business. And um, we celebrate him. Uh, we miss him, but we, we celebrate him. Mm, yeah, because like you, you said something about it, he shaped careers. That was very very crucial. You cannot yes, count indeed. on your fingers yes, indeed, the indeed. number of people who started their careers in that organization uh, where they are today. Um, I never had the privilege of working there, but um, a lot of my, like yourself, like Dr. Mumuni, my very good friend, a lot of people in the industry, he shaped the industry and oh, he, really, he really, he really did. <laughs> and, um, um, but he has talked from an insider's point of view. Um, I'll let him talk from an outsider's point of view. Somebody who, through his dad, as remember, consumed these publications voraciously and religiously. <laughs> what did, what did that mean to you growing up having to, um, probably steal money. I'm not saying you stole money. <laughs> probably uh, borrow money from dad's purse to buy some of these publications. You know, interesting. I, I have many stories that I can relate to complete football, complete sports, and uh, sports failure. I can start with um, complete football. So, you know, then, like Bonnie said, no internet. So mm-hmm. it was a go-to publication. It was monthly. So imagine a situation where you are starved of information for a month. For a month. Mm. So you can imagine the pressure that you are under to get that copy mm. of complete football. So one story, I thought it was the secondary schools in the nineties. Um a friend of mine, Bolani Okoya, um we call him so he got his nickname from me from a caption in complete football. Okay. So I think it was Ghana's Pursuit for trying to go to the World Cup in '94. Mm. So I think there was a, there was an incident where somebody was going to score me a last minute goal or something that had to do with the last with the last minute. So they called it a caption, the zero R. Okay. So my dear friend was really confused, but he didn't read that portion. He just mm. saw that the zero R, and somehow assumed. 
He was not a footballer. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing, you know, when he bought his school, he now put zero on his uh, uniform, mm. you know. And we're like, ah, this guy, which one be zero? That's the uh, thing you know. You know the, say that you don't need no football. That one new footballer will just come out. <laughs> I said zero. <laughs> There's no footballer. Zero. What kind of? And I said, no, I'm going to show you. Show me the way people say you have a ball. So let's get a copy of complete football from the room and show us the pastor. Okay. Now the zero hour. hour. Read, <laughs> read the story. That's how that name stuck. Stuck with that today. guy till tomorrow. Really? He tried to stop. Sports souvenir. My dad used to buy sports souvenir every Saturday. And like when he said that, he used to sell out. Mm. So I know my dad used to fight with the vendor. That you okay. must keep my copy. You must keep my copy. <laughs> and what I liked about that paper was the fact that it was all Nigerian sports, mm. especially the locally. Yeah. Which is something we don't do today yeah. anyway. Yeah. And I remember once my dad finishes reading with his vanguard and whatever, it's my turn. Mm. So I go from cover to cover within the space of one hour, I'm mm. done. But the one that always is intriguing, I've mentioned it before, was the artist's description of the goal of the week. Of the goal of the week. <laughs> goal of the week. <laughs> that thing was magical. Mm. If you didn't watch a football match... Yemi? Yemi? Yes, brother. Let me tell you a story about how we create that goal of the week. You know, um, we, we, we send like four or five reporters across to Venice, across Nigeria. So when we arrive, when we return from our trips on um, Monday morning, we not, we usually have an editorial meeting. All of us will describe, oh, uh, is anybody, anyone here that, that saw a good goal? And all of us will describe the goal that we, that we think is interesting. We'll now choose the best one. We now have to describe the goal to the artist. The artist. Which means that when you, are, when you are watching a game, yes, you, you have to pay attention to photographic memory. Defenders yeah. on the wall, in the wall. How creative. You have to be alert. We now create how it from a description. And you didn't have the benefit That's how you of, get that goal of the You didn't week. have the benefit of a replay. Abi? Wow. No camera phones. No, no, you what, don't. No, what, what a no, you don't. Sorry. You know? So that for me. Was what I always look forward to for sports. Not mm. complete sports. Now, when I was serving in Jigawa State, that was my, like my Bible. Mm. So, in my morning, wake up in the morning after we train on the pitch with the NYC team, which I used to coach. I go to the newsstand after I used to coach. I used to coach the NYC team. Where did you get knocked out? <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so, we go to the newsstand and I buy a copy of complete sports, mm. fold it in my back pocket, take a bag to my office. Uh, the Sports Council. Mm. Sit down. Once I read, finish that paper, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> and I hand it over to the okay. next person in the office. Uh, so that was my, mm. my, the, my life at times with you know, public communications. Um, like I said, I never, I never had the privilege. I, I started as a broadcast journalist, so I never really worked in print, but you know, what I did that time at DBN Television was all my analysts. And that's how I made body. All my analysts for different sports, I chose from the complete sports table. Um, but it was a gentleman that did tennis that time. Was it Sam? Yes. I, but I, I can't recall his hey, name. Yes, Sam. Very brief human being like that. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to say short. <laughs> he was my go-to guy for tennis, but he was my go-to guy for basketball and the local league. 
And of course, if you needed something more elaborate, more expansive, Mumini Alao was my go-to guy. And those were my... And so, for you to know how the amount of respect I had for the stable, I didn't go beyond yeah. the complete sports group for my analysts, for my TV shows. And that just underscores what uh, that publication meant. We'll get to... We'll round up in a bit about him. Let's go to... On the question of TV, uh, let's go to the gentleman that shaped my passion for TV broadcasting. I grew up in Ibadan. And in the early 70s, a certain gentleman would come on your screen. I think on Saturday, I think it was 9.30 to 10, if I'm not mistaken, or 10.30 to 11, 30 minutes show on a Saturday night. And I remember um, normally during the week because of school, they tell you to go to bed early. But this time, because it was a weekend, they will allow you some leeway. So I used to beg my mom to let me to let me uh, watch TV to do that. And I would, he would do his shows, sports shows, and his pay offline is etched in my memory till today. And when he finishes his shows, he's, he ends by saying, and until next week, I'm back in sports all the way. What about you? And that was Fabio Lani Pekun, who just passed on. And he became a, such a huge mentor. Interestingly, we didn't work together. He's, he retired about the time I started, but a lot of uh, events subsequently as presenters and analysts brought us together. And the interesting thing about him, everybody will confirm, was our radio show, Sports Express. If you made one little error, you know your phone will buzz at the end of the show. And that was Uncle Fabio. Correcting you in love. You know, correcting you and telling you, oh, did you, you know, you made a mistake here. A factual error. Uh, it was one that made me understand that you don't call it female walk up, you call it women's walk up, you know, and all of that. Same thing with Buddy, same thing with Tola. Uh, but he, he will call you, and everybody in the industry, he did the same. So you can imagine that even after he retired, you can imagine the amount of shows he was watching. It was a dying of uh, sports casting, Buddy. And we are sad to see him go, but like you said, he, he lived a full life. He was 80 years old. We're great to find him. And Buddy, uh, Uncle Fabio. Such a great, great gentleman and father figure to us all. DJ, I'm telling you, like, I'm talking about uh, his, um, his, um, his remote, remote teachings. Mm. Uh, first off, I met him probably once or twice my, my entire life. Mm. We talked more on phone than, the, than this. First, I, I, I didn't know how, uh, 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 till today, I, I don't know how he got my phone number, like, <laughs> like you said. Um, go, go on the air in the morning, make any alarm, Fabi will call you. And you give you a short lecture. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we, we had we had so many conversations. Of course, I will call you. you will call me. Oh, this this is this this is what happened. You give you. So sometimes you tell stories that that you didn't give enough background. You give you the background yeah. to, to, to expand your own knowledge. So you know how to shape it the next time. Um, and the fact that, like you said, he, he, he never did this in your face. I'm sure there are many testimonies like this because, like, like you also mentioned, I don't know how many shows he watches or listens to, but um, I, I, I used to feel honored that Uncle Fabi was listening to us in the mornings. Yeah, yeah. So once I said, but did you, so Uncle Fabi is calling me again. <laughs> what have I done today? <laughs> no, we used to have this joke that it's, once we know there was an error, we look at ourselves and say, Uncle Fabio will call. And I'm telling you, the moment you <laughs> left the studio, your phone rang and it was the one. But what I like about it, but it was the fact that even when your error was horrendous, he was a father figure. He corrected you in love. Oh, and that, yes, that meant a lot to me. He didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't lord it over you. Even if you made a fact, you tell you, know, Deji, that year was 1973 that this thing happened. You said 1972. You know, he was such a repository 
of knowledge. They had his facts and figures okay. right at his fingertips. You know? And, uh, well, I know Yemi's generation didn't really... No, I... I what, five, okay. Five, well, this is the, funny, the thing about me is I grew up in a sports, sporting house. Because of your dad? Called my dad. Okay. So what I liked about him is anytime he's running commentaries for the then Green Eagles, mm. the way he mentions the lineups yeah, and the attachments he puts to each name. Each name. So he gives you a brief capture, a brief, you know, insight into the history of, of each that particular player. player. Yeah. Telling you, oh, so-and-so, Muralawa, a member of so-and-so team, he's mm. got the, you know, so he'll give you the nickname of the player, what he did, mention probably a memorable match that he that played. He mm. It was different. A lot of people mentioned, you know, and also Concord and all that, but yeah. I particularly liked his style. You know, in running twenty, and there was one mm. I just saw a game for the first time in a long time. It was the Daman Miracle. Daman Miracle, yeah, yeah that, was his, yeah, that, was, that was that was you know? iconic. It's, it's, I, even uh, that's another iconic thing about Uncle Fabio. I remember very clearly. After we equalized, these were his exact words. This is incredible. This is unbelievable. This is an epoch-making occasion. We were four goals down, and then the boys came back four-one, four-two. 4-3 and then 4-4. Four, four. I remember that. You know, four, that four. what he did used to do in Ibarra and this particular one, they are like, I can recall them. I don't have to read. Those were like etched in your memory, iconic moments. I also remember Uncle Yinga Craig and the 1980 Nations Cup and all of that. I feel extremely privileged to have related with this gentle, that generation of broadcasters because they were, they were, how do I put it? They were thoroughly professionals and very, very good gentlemen. They, they, they drew you close. They didn't have any airs about them. They made you learn from them. Um, so that we don't run out of time, we move on to our next icon. Thankfully, he's still with us. Um, he's just a year older than me. He turned 60, but he is my senior in this industry. And I think he started seven or eight years before I dreamt of joining. And our paths crossed very early in my career. I'm talking about uh, double Dr. Larry Izamuji. I was doing my, when I went, when I decided to cross over to media uh, from my all industry job, I went to Nigerian Institute of Journalism. I did it. So while I was doing the course at NIJ, postgraduate diploma in journalism with broadcast journalism uh, special, specialization, there was a video club opposite, um, opposite NIJ and it was a sports video club. I didn't know it belonged to Larry, but I used to go there. And there was a young lady who turned out to be his younger sister who used to run them. So I used to borrow videos there. Yeah, he had left paid employment then. He was starting out. And for people should learn, young people should learn from this. You see Larry today, you, you need to know his story. You know, and if you know the story, you know that nothing good comes easy. But if you keep at it, he's a fine example of people working hard and getting to wherever they want to get to by dint of hard work. And I used to go there and borrow videos and I was a constant customer. So one day he happened to be there. So the sister said, Ah, Uncle, um, Brother Larry, this gent, come and meet this gentleman, one of my best customers. So he walked out and I said, I, Of course, I knew him from his newspaper. He was a fantastic boxing writer. He used to write, write a lot about boxing. And I've seen him on TV and all. And then I followed his. So we got talking and so he said, Ah, you know about sports. So what I did, I said, Well, I'm actually, I want to cross into media, but actually I'm at NIG. I'm taking because I, I have a radio show. You can be joining me. And that was how. I can't, I can't forget the, the, the first time I was on his show, 1993, the, the week after Super Eagles lost to Cote d'Ivoire 
on the way to the nineteen ninety four Nations Cup. And that was how, you know, for you to understand it, Larry would come and pick me in Ogba. I used to go in, live in Ogba. And we would drive to Abel Kuta. And I, we did that Saturdays and I would be a guest on the show and all of that. And then, for you to also understand, there was a time, I don't want to mention the car Larry used that time. <laughs> Let me leave the car. But there was a time the show became a daily. And Larry used to drive to Abel Kuta every, every morning. Every morning. We're very, very proud of what is done to radio broadcasting first um local radio station first sports, sports radio station, station across africa and all of that and buddy um larry I, i've told this story many times but i'm always proud to say the story about my relationship with him and what he did larry was somebody that revolutionized sports reportage on radio buddy Yes, he was. Uh, yes, he is DG. Uh, and the, 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 the important thing to also, to also note, yeah, like you mentioned, between him and Esso, um, to thread where no man has, has done before. Yeah. That's a brave odds that we cannot imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, the thing about these three gentlemen, uh, both the living and the departed is that, um, you will not, you will not, they, they live good lives. Without being in your face, they live, they live good, good lives without, without crossing over to the dark side. Yeah. Um, and we, we can talk about them now with reverence because also they were aware of the burden they are carrying. Mm. A lot of young people, and I, I, I just feel the need to achieve this in now. A lot of young people coming into, into this industry or going to any, any industry. These guys didn't make money. They, the aim. They wanted to do something yeah. different. They wanted to, Pursue their passion, uh, something they cared about, and on the way to to meeting these targets, they met fame, probably made money. But the bottom line, because when Larry was uh, living uh, um, the station where he was, uh, where, where he had a daily show, um, uh, to to f- first off, when he was every day, it was a passion he was pursuing. Yeah, it wasn't Tabeku to look for money. Money came. On, on the road to the, to the yeah. US in 94. When he, when, when he was living in the station where he was to start a, a radio, he, he also wanted to expand the horizon yeah. of podcasting. Now, look, look, see, see where, where we are today. Lagos, Onisha, Enugu, mm. there are some in, in, in Kano, Kaduna. Port Harcourt. And then a, a lot of people, a, a lot of people are, uh, 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 a, a, a lot of people are benefiting. And just like, uh, like ESO, a lot of great guys pass through yeah. Uh, uh, to bring life in. And that's because somebody had the courage and the vision. Dream. And you, you, you look at Brilla FM, you look at, uh, uh, the complete communications table, and you probably say that maybe 50% of our oh, industry have worked in either. You know, so True. they've shaped lives, they've shaped careers. We'll end it here. As Let me just give a okay. quick story um, on, on Larry. On Larry, okay. So, in secondary school, hmm. to avoid assembly, in the morning, we used to rotate it. Oh, okay. Somebody had to stay back in the hostel to record. To record oh, 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 Larry's oh, show on OGBC2. Okay. So that so, the rest so of so you so, so, go back and watch and listen. So he brings it to the class when we get back from assembly and uh, plays it. And you all to listen. Can you imagine? <laughs> you know, you do this job and you never know which is. So we'll end it here. We want to send out our commiserations to the families of, uh, Dr. Esso Ojagbase, Sonny Ojagbase, and Uncle Fabio Lanikbeck. I'm very happy I was with him the last days I was in his house. Um, I, 
I mean, I knew Dr. Jagbase very briefly. I was, I never worked for him, but I knew and loved and respected him for what he did for the industry. And um, of course, Larry, Big Larry is my very good friend up till this day. Um, we want to commiserate with the families of the Ojegbases and the Lani Pekuns. I wish them well. Your, that your uh, patriarchs have done immensely well for our industry. We love them. We bless them for it. And to Dr. Larry, uh, we wish you many, many more decades in good health. Continue to do what we're doing. We're proud of you. These three gentlemen have shaped our industry in very, and impacted our industry and a lot of lives in very, very positive ways. And we're immensely, immensely proud of them. Rest in peace, Dr. Exo Jagbase. Rest in peace, Uncle Fabio. Many, many more years in good health we wish for Dr. Larry Izamoji. And when you're talking about impacts, one man that made tremendous impact that probably changed football forever is uh, Roman Abramovich. Uh, the owner of, can I, I can't say former you now, he's still the owner. <laughs> he's still the owner. The owner of Chelsea, the man who in 2003 it was, bought Chelsea and changed the landscape forever. Some have accused him, Yemi though, that um, he changed football for bad, not for good. That the era of big money now came with him. You could, people have said he introduced buying titles and they've used Man City and they've used PSG as uh, examples of uh, the impact of that and now Newcastle following that same trend and all of that. I don't think, I don't think that's fair. I think that's ridiculous. Uh, I don't think that's fair. But I think the underlying fact is that you, you use the word on a radio show, sugar daddy. Somebody came, saw quote-unquote a toy he liked, yeah. put money in it. Now he probably has to leave it. First, what are the impacts? Positive, negative, of uh, romance, uh, romance, we call it, with Chelsea. <laughs> you know, first of all, I have to respond to those people that criticize him and say that he probably spoke the terror. So how do we, what do we ascribe to the likes of uh, Silver Berlusconi, the guys that run Real Madrid? Beyond that. And um, even the guys before that. Yeah, even the guys that run part of Manchester United's history. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that's ridiculous, a ridiculous statement. The man saw an opportunity, saw a club that had potential, over the years, they've won a few uh, FA Cups, yeah. you know. And it felt, look, if I take over this club, model it in my image, put a good structure behind it, this club will break the duopoly of Manchester United and Arsenal at the time. And he came in, did that, put in some good money, got some of the best times across the world. And today, they've won every trophy available. available. The trophy hall is Crazy. It's crazy. No, on the negative side, mm. probably has to do with the way they hire and fire managers. You know, because they've got it to a point where... <laughs> but they, you have to argue that it's worked. Oh, it's, it's, it's worked. worked. It's worked because streets. It looks like every time they fire a manager, they win the next trophy. Oh, yes. It's incredible. The only why, reason why I call it a negative is that the job of that manager, mm. you really can't ascribe the success of the club to the work of one manager in terms of okay. impute. Okay. Or you, and you can't even say, oh, the foundations probably, of the success of this club is because of what this manager probably, did. Probably you, 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 could, you could say Mourinho laid the foundation. Oh, some would tell that you it's Claudio Ranieri. Okay, good point. You know, uh, so, Claudio Ranieri was, okay, that's a good point. They, would, they spent a year together. Oh, yes. Uh, so, some would tell you that. But the way they hired and fired managers is my negative. But the fact that they consistently were winning, and now 
They've also shown the different side. So, you know, the flip side was, oh, Chelsea spent, 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 spent. But what have they done? They've spent a lot of money, invested in the academy mm. over the years, got the best young talents from across the world, and they're now selling those guys for a truckload of money mm. that their, their net spend has reduced drastically over the last few years. Yeah. And you can't say, you know, you, can, you have to credit mm. Roman for putting that structure yeah. in place or funding that structure yeah. that's made Chelsea successful. You know, but it's not a template that you would want anybody to say, let's copy this template. Because it's like, um, the, the crazier I get, the more successful the club. You were talking, he, he joined them and ironically, if he's leaving them now, he's leaving them as world and European champions. It doesn't get bigger or higher than that in football circles. So, buddy, is there a rhyme and a reason to the style at Chelsea or is it just pure coincidence that it's worked this way? What do you think? You know, as you, as you guys are talking, I'm thinking, you, you know, you know those movies that you are watching and there's chaos on the ground and then the camera angle shifts to a higher, uh, uh, the camera angle shifts to, um, to a shot from above. And you see the pattern clearly. Mm. And, and I think that is what, uh, 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 uh Roma's Chelsea was or is. We, 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 we will soon know. <laughs> At the start, when he was spending all that, when he was spending all that money, of course, everybody correctly said, hey, that he was buying tattoos and he's just, he's just spending money. But then, somewhere along the way, the business part kicked in. Where he started getting promising players from across Europe. And now, several years later, like Hemi noted, the books are balancing. Yes, he spends money, but the net spend is reducing because they are now making money from the sale of these young players. Yeah. And what none of us can deny is that they've won a truckload. I mean, it's, it's visible for everybody to see. They are like they are world and European, they are European champions, they are world champions for, for the first time for the, for the first time in, in, in their history. They became uh, English champions for the first time under Roma. European champions for the first time under under Roma. World champions for the first time under Roma. So there's a reason. And yes, we may not agree with, with the, with the coming and going of coaches, but you know, we always say that the best people to run sports are those who are in business. Mm. Sports is big money. There should be no emotions attached. We might not like it, but hey, both for players, both for the players and for, uh, and for the teams, you, you've got to do what is best for you. If the same things that this player, no matter what contract you just signed, is not going to be a case selling. If a player thinks that, you know what, if I go to the next club, I'm going to make more money. My career is short. Carry your bag and go. But Roma has, Roma has removed, uh, Roma has removed emotions. Sentiment, yeah. From football. Exactly. And all of us are watching in awe as the man has created something that is massive. Whether they, whether they, 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 they be able to continue, given what is going on in the world right now, we will see. But what you can't deny is that, uh, that Roma came with a model that are so perfectly for the fans. Maybe the coaches and some players will complain because it's quick to send, send people on their way. But the model is working. The fans are happy. I should like to think they are happy, you know, and the club has become, has become better for it. Um, yeah, I mean, okay, let, let's look at the impact of uh, post-Roman Chelsea. Um, they have a 
couple of players uh, on the... Do you think, first of all, maybe the question should be, do you think the players, no matter who takes over, Chelsea has become a valuable club. Mm. I mean, I expect that uh, the finances will not drop. I think it will have a big money buyout, if indeed it is. That's what happens in sells it. I expect the valuation is reasonable. A uh, valuation of $3 billion, I think, is very reasonable. And I think you'll get a buyer. So I don't think uh, people are, are thinking that Chelsea will lose money or the money will dry up. I don't think that will happen. But, you know, his image, his presence has been all-encompassing for almost 20 years. What's the impact? What impact do you think will have on players? Do you think you will make some players reconsider, especially those ones like Rudiger and Azpilicueta who are coming to the end of their contracts? Do you think they want to stay in a uh, post-Roman Chelsea? Or do you think they will feel that, hey, it maybe it's about time for us to uh, move on? First, let's address the fact that um, that still hasn't happened. Yeah. Even though I have my disagreements with the way and manner, it seems that they're seemingly trying to push him out. Mm. Hey, quite hypocritical. You're talking about uh, the same English people who mm. accepted uh, Shasta Sinawata yeah. to buy Manchester City some a few years ago, a dictator from Thailand. And now those same people are saying this mm. man should sell yeah. Chelsea because of his ties to the Russian government. I think it makes absolutely no sense. Mm. And it's quite hypocritical. But and they just accepted certain people to buy Newcastle. Well. Exactly. Hmm. So you can, you can just imagine <laughs> the world that we live in. Um, but to the players, it's, it's been tough, whether we like it or not. Psychology plays a huge role in football. And knowing that the man that signs the big checks it's might no not be there. there. You know, could have a huge effect on the players and decisions that they make. And God help them if they have a glazer like Ona. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a different matter. Although, all those glazers are still good. My casting type Ona. Mm. That's a different uh, conversation. But I do think that um, the likes of Aspiliqueta, Rudiga, I think they're looking for a new challenge. Mm. I think they've got it to a point where they say, look, we've won virtually everything that it is to win in club football. And a new challenge in mean, a new country might just be what would um, appeal to them. As mm. Greta is laying, you know, coming close to the end of the, his career. So a return to Spain might be the attraction yeah, for, for him. him. Rudiger as well, he's finally picked according to the real top of mm. his career, one of the best defenders in won Europe, as well as everything. He might be looking and saying, oh, Maybe it's an opportunity for me to go back to Germany. So or even go to like a Real Madrid. Or so a Real Madrid that's been rumored to you know to be looking at him. So I think all these guys might just be looking for a new challenge. Mm. And the and the whole Roman situation might not mm. be much of a consideration for them. Just the fact that maybe it's but it, do you think that what's happening to Roman is more or less is being forced out? I think that's where I, I read it myself. Yeah. We'll get to our next topic to deal with deals with some of that. Do you think that that might affect future prospective buyers of Premier League clubs in terms of, hey, something goes wrong, these people are probably going to virtually force me out. I, I think we all know that um, these decisions depend on which side of, side of the table you are sitting. Yeah. Um, we, 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 we saw a lot of pressure uh, 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 on, on, from the English media on their government to act on 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 a, on on a, on, a, on Saudi owners of some clubs uh based on events that 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 unfolded at, at, at some point it didn't it, it, it never led to their being forced out 
Um, Roman may be one of. But like I said, you know, when it comes to uh, these decisions on, on what, on what is right, it depends on which side of the table you are sitting on. Like, uh, like, like, like this African, like, like this African proverb that says, um, until the lion tells the story of the hunt, man will, al- man will always be the hero. So it depends on which side of the table you are sitting on. I think uh, Roman just happened to be sitting on the right side of, on, on the right side of the, of the table on this one. That's where I had to go. Okay. I mean, final word on this one. Um, where do you find Chelsea if they do sell? Uh, if Roman does leave, uh, would they, would they be able to find a way to continue the success or as it, as it tends to happen when ownership changes, a period of reorientation, reorganization and critically, critically, I think they need to keep Marina, Marina, Marina. because if she leaves, that will have a huge impact on the management side. So where do you, how do you think this will affect Chelsea? Not from the playing side now, from the business side in the next few years. Whoever takes up Chelsea needs to create a proper succession plan. Succession plan says that she's spending close to four billion. It's not that's not chicken change to buy a big football club. So at the same time, you have to have enough money in your kitty to fund maintaining that level of success. Mm. Now, that succession plan needs to involve Marina. So whatever Marina is, even if Marina would want to leave. Which is rumored that let's have happen. an interim arrangement. Let us stay on for at least the next two, three years. Mm. So she can groom whoever it is is going to succeed and watch the investors' money. Um, that is the way to go. But now where the origin of the new owners would determine the amount of investment, amount of commercial revenue that could come into Chelsea. So for instance, you're hearing a Swiss businessman is being linked. A Saudi businessman is being linked. If any one of those guys come in, you are sure that investments, commercial revenue will come from those countries and had to the, you know, to what Chelsea has on the play. I think Chelsea will be fine. And this is me looking at antithesis of takeovers that have happened to some of the big clubs. United, when it was taken over by the Glazers, they maintained a level of, of success still mm-hmm. because they had Sir Alex Ferguson and David still Damn, running cool. things. Mm. Man City, once they put the structure of the, of, uh, the Bristol and Surreal, they found a way. So I think that will happen, uh, if Chelsea ensure that they keep the structure at least for two to three years and have a proper succession plan. Mm. All right. Uh, that's it on that. And, and that has led to, our uh, third topic for today, which we call the politics of sport. You know, time was when everybody said sports and politics do not mix. No, anybody says that around me now, I'll conk the person <laughs> on the head. You know, because it looks like now that sports is politics. Yeah, sports is politics, politics is sports. Um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has had, I don't think there's been any, any industry that's reacted with the vehemence which which sports has reacted. Which is interesting. Which is very interesting. <laughs> very, very interesting. As at the last count, um, 23 sporting federations have sanctioned either Russia or Russian athletes or in some form, some kind of sporting sanction against Russia. And the IOC and the, the International Olympic Committee and the IPC, uh, even individual Russian athletes like the Formula One driver Mazapin, you know, mm-hmm. I wonder what the guy's done wrong. <laughs> but he's had to lose his job because his country is embroiled in some. 
No, so, but do you get the impression there's a bit of hypocrisy and there's a bit of being overreaching um, in this instance? Because we've had instances where other countries did similar things. And hey, I can't remember the United States being sanctioned for the invasion of Iraq, uh, not condoning what Russia is doing, not condoning what Russia has done. But a situation where individual athletes, all kinds of sports, at the last weekend, Syria had the graphics, no war. Uh, La Liga had something, yeah. Premier League captains war and bans, uh, support Ukraine and all of that. Is it is this getting a bit too much in your view? Do you think sports is getting too involved in this? Because I can't recall any industry that is reacting like this to this political situation, even if it involves war and loss of lives, buddy. I, I, I think um, I think there are two sides to this coin. Okay, and it depends on um, which angle you choose to see it from. Uh, let me first play the devil's advocate. I believe that um, the world is thinking of the implications of what Russia are doing in Ukraine. Um, the way the world is shaped now, you know, all superpowers are in a state of mutually assured destruction, mad as they call it. Mm. And anything could be a powder cake. And I feel that um, the world is thinking you know what? Before we push ourselves over the edge of the precipice, let's do something. That could be the thinking. And I think, okay, you know, it, it's it's a, it's a, it's um. Let's let's put up a united front to ensure that 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 doesn't happen. Doomsday scenario. That's what we're looking at it. Exactly. The other way, the, the other thing I'm thinking is what I said earlier. It depends on which side of the table you are. It depends on which side of the table you are sitting. You mentioned examples of nations that have invaded each other and nothing has happened. And of course, we are, all of us have, have listened with, with horror at some of the things that our colleagues in the media are saying. Oh, this is Europe. Oh, um, uh, this is not Afghanistan or Africa. And you're like, goodness gracious. Are you saying that some lives matter more than the others? Yeah. You understand? So like I said, because I mean, invasions and killings happen, happen in other places. Hmm. And the world, like you mentioned, Move they are on. not reacting like this. So it depends on which side of the table you are sitting. It's as simple as that. Because it's not Af- Afghanistan or North Africa or, hmm. or, or West Africa or, or somewhere in, uh, in, in, in Asia, hey, then it shouldn't be happening. So I, I think the world, the, 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 there's been a lot of hypocrisy. But then again, maybe, maybe, the, the, maybe the, the, we are looking at a lot of caution. Depends on how you look at it. Mm. You know, you look at the way the world is reacting. And I remember w- when there was apartheid in South Africa and African countries were boycotting games and all of that. They were heavily criticized. And then um, the rest of the world did not join them in those boycotts. You know, because then it was like sports and politics should not mix. But suddenly sports and politics it, are, are bedfellows. It was convenient. Uh, it was convenient then. So, <laughs> uh, you know, right now, sports and politics are bedfellows. In oh, fact, yes. they are roommates. Oh, yes. <laughs> and best of friends. You know, yeah, I mean, my thinking is Russia actually might win some of the game cases if they go to the oh, yes. of Advision for Sport, which they've said they will go to. I don't know whether that will have any impact on all that. Don't even know whether all these sanctions have any 
long-term meaningful impacts on the political side of things. You know, but a lot of individuals, Roman Abramovich is a prime example, a lot of individuals are having to uh, readjust. Is it that the world has gone to a place where, maybe let's go, don't let refer to the past. Have we gone to the place where we have gone to the point where it's zero tolerance for this kind of aggression against another country? Or is it a case of what's good is what's good for the goose is not good for the gander? How convenient. Mm. There is not zero tolerance to behavior of this nature. When Iraq was invading Kuwait, there was no zero tolerance at that time. And when the US had to step in to have the first desert uh, storm, there was no zero tolerance at the time. When the case of uh, weapons of mass destruction yeah. came up, there was no zero tolerance at that time. Or when they invaded Libya, on top of the government, there was no zero tolerance at the time. And we can go on and on. Um, the, the level of hypocrisy is amazing. Um, we can also go to the Falklands War as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. Britain. So it mm. means that um, there's a set of rules for some countries mm. and a different set of rules for you know, some other set of countries. And what I found funny was FIFA being the first people to yeah, and this is the same FIFA that was alleged to have collected money from the same Russia mm. for them to host the World Cup in 2018. Find that very, very interesting. Uh, and also UEFA, you know, at the same time, considering the nationality of the president of you know, UEFA, what you, what they tend or sought to achieve with the bans is what I don't understand. Yeah, that, that's my question a, 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 exactly. Mm. Beyond the inconvenience of Russia not taking part because in Because I don't understand how you think that will have any impact on Putin. Will make Putin decide not to do what he wants to do. Man has coconut head anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to change anything. <laughs> you know? So, you've, you're going to deprive a set of players. Mm. And we're talking about some players in Russia are probably at the twilight of their career to make it to the next World Cup. Why? Because their country made it, you took a decision to invade their neighboring country. You, you, and, and what is amusing is if you go back and look at what the IOC and the World Athletics did in terms of banning Russia for doping, mm. has it changed anything with respect to the doping of Russian athletes? Mm. Still. One happened at the Winter Olympics oh, recently. Mm. They're still doping. So it, those sanctions are okay, sure. Are you saying that? Okay, let, let me put. Are you saying that it should have been enough to say we totally condemn? Condemn the act. You can have this. Uh, I, I like you can have the mi- one minute. You know, when you start taking concrete actions that deny People Russia or Russia human their rights, human rights there because like the their livelihood. I think it was Spartak muscles that have been thrown out yes. of the competition. I, I I really think that Russia would win some of those cases they go to chaos but whether they will be respected and all of that you know the picture I get is that I think sports believes that um, they can achieve certain things which I personally don't think they can exactly and what which is I personally what, don't think they can what is funny about is the sports for whatever funny reason I decide to take the first step to mm. be in the face of it. meanwhile the countries surrounding Russia have refused to take economic sanctions, make economic sanctions, take economic steps against mm. Russia. Germany are still buying their gas from Russia. <laughs> A lot of countries are still buying oil from Russia. Mm. Those economic sanctions have not come in place. Mm. 
Yeah. They use sports from nowhere. You are raising your it, head. Is and it say, a bandwagon effect? I think it's a bandwagon effect. All, 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 all the dinner was for one person to step up and say, we are banning you. Then the rest, just like, like uh, dominoes, the rest have just followed suit. Mm. And for me, it makes no sense. Uh, Formula One canceling the Russian Grand Prix. That one I can understand from an economic standpoint. Okay. It affects Russia. And nobody wants to go in there. Nobody wants mm. to go in there. Russia as a country will lose money because yes. But Mazepin losing his job. Mazepin losing his job. That one doesn't make any sense to me at all. The young one, yes, it's not his fault that he's born in Russia or the Russian national, but he has a skill set. And that skill set should be the basis for you to be considering terminating his contract, not his nationality. Let's put it this way, buddy. I thought sports was a fantastic way to build bridges, not burn them. So I thought sports, maybe, uh, what do I know? I thought sports would have been a fantastic way to um, offer a handshake across the divide. Let's find a common ground to try and solve this thing. And um, I don't know, maybe I'm making sense, maybe I'm not making sense, but I just felt that a situation where um, fairness and equity means that if I've earned my place on the table, like Spartak Moscow have earned their place, should you take it away because my country I mean, because I may not necessarily agree with what my country is doing. I'm an athlete. I may not have any power, any say. Should I lose my livelihood or my position? Is that not going against the uh, tenets of justice and fair play yeah. that sports professes to protect? But a final word on this. The all about safety. Um, if, if, if Spartak Moscow is on Russia allows to continue playing their, playing their games, mm. where, where do you think they'll play it? Where? Because, I mean, since they're at war, there's no fly zone. You can't go and play in Russia. Do you no, think, no, fly, go no fly zone. Yeah. Uh, 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 ground. And I, I also think, DG, 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 I also think that, DG, I don't think there's any, any neutral ground because of um, uh, so many reasons. Okay. Remember Munich, I just, Munich 74. Yeah. The odds are that there will always be a danger of violence erupting somewhere. Always. Hmm. Um, we, we might not agree with it. And I think for the safety of those players, really, the best thing to do, unless, look, for, even for, for, even for individual players, I don't think they will come and tell you the kind of threats or the kind of challenges they face. For mm. those are, of them that, that, are, that are still competing, um, are still being allowed to yeah, compete. That, that, but for that, teams, that's a good point. I think the logistics are scary. The security implications of having maybe a Russian team or Russian athlete. Well, just imagine somewhere. Uh, that uh, just became world number one. Yeah. Just after mm. the invasion. <laughs> Is it going to lose that status? So, of course, it's going to, because it probably can't get as many points to maintain mm. that position. But just no, imagine. It, the ATP is going to say, okay, uh, Danny Medvedev, you are banned from playing tennis. Unfortunately, now, aside that, are we the, not getting to that point? We're going to get, we're getting to that point. But what they were saying is safety. Yeah. His security. He flies out to go and play one you of the events at all. You can't mm. guarantee safety. All right. Um, don't ever say politics and sport do not mix. If you say it around me, I'll conk <laughs> you on the head <laughs> because uh, recent events have shown us that politics seems, uh, politics and sports are very, very 
They're not straight bedfellows anymore. And um, it's become a tool of uh, political acti- activism, as we have seen all across the world. We don't know what's going to happen. We hope the Russian invasion ends. We hope uh, lives are saved. Uh, we do not condemn, we do not condone what Russia is doing. We're just wondering whether sport is not, uh, going a bit overboard. I think trying first, to condemn, even when the economic fire superpowers are not exactly taking fire reaching sanctions yet, you know, but hey, maybe sports wants to be the leader and I maybe think, that works. I think the moment sports started, decided to start separating Russia mm. and Ukraine yeah. from potentially meeting in matches mm. was the beginning of sports getting involved. That's in another politics. good point. We have we can go on and on, but we have to end it here. Uh, it's been Paul Sports Three Sixty Podcast for the week. Sports Three Sixty Pod on Instagram is where you can reach us, and on Twitter is Sports Three Sixty Pod underscore. Let me thank all those who sent me birthday wishes on our um, Twitter page. I thank you very much. It was my birthday a couple of days ago. Uh, I hope to uh, thank you better. We are planning a physical meeting sometime later in the year. So, buddy, thank you. Yemi, great to have you. And um, you can join the podcast every Thursday, 12 noon, Nigerian time. It drops your way. My name is Dejo Motoebo. Thanks for joining us this week. Bye-bye.